Hello, I'm glad you're with us today, and I hope you're doing really well. Here, here's an interesting fact, something to think about. Jesus spent more time preparing a community of disciples than he did proclaiming the gospel. I find that surprising. I, I don't know about you, but we think of him as the greatest person of all time who's ever lived, and he spent all that time relating to a small group of people. And I think one reason for this is because those original disciples would become the apostles and lay the foundation for the church and launch the Christian movement. So he needed to pour into them. He needed them to really get what he was trying to do and what he was all about. Jesus took the time to make sure the disciples understood how important community is. Here's a scene from the TV series, series Chosen that shows about half of his first disciples gathering for the very first time. And as you can tell, I, I love this series. It, it brings things to life and really helps us kind of get a glimpse of what it might have been like to be with Jesus in his day, but they're gathering to go with him to a wedding at Cana where he's going to perform his first miracle. They don't know any of that, but it shows Simon and Peter, or Simon Peter and Andrew meeting up with the other disciples to go to Cana. And I can only imagine what it would be like to be in this moment with Jesus. Let's watch this together. It's nervous. Come on, don't be nervous. If you're nervous, I'll come on too strong. Don't tell me you're not nervous. I said I was. You said Look, if I'm nervous... I know what I said. I don't want to let him down. I don't want to do it wrong. Come on. We'll probably both do it wrong. It's like fishing. Remember when Dad taught us? Dad didn't teach us anything. We just sat there and watched. And then it was our turn and we made our own mistakes. Can you believe this? Well, you guys are great. Hey. Hello. Have you been here long? Oh, yeah. Perfect day for a wedding, huh? Master. Simon, Andrew, Mary, James, John, Thaddeus. But where is, uh... Oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> Raining figs. Figs? For a journey. Ah, now we won't even need to stop for lunch. Thank you, James. Yes, Master. Ah, two Jameses. How will we solve this dilemma? Well, what if uh, I go by Big James? Is that acceptable to you, young James? Yes, I think that's fair, Master. In the sense of justice, too, huh? Then it's settled. Now, to the road, my friends. The bride and groom await. You, you catch a sense of wonder among the first disciples in this clip, and it's great to know and important to know that Jesus took the time to get to know each of these disciples and to allow them to get to know him. That takes a lot of time. It took time, but he was working a plan. Notice what Jesus called these first disciples to when he invited them at first to follow him. 
Mark 3, 13 through 14. Jesus went up on a mountainside, and he called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, to have authority to drive out demons. It's interesting that Jesus called his first followers to be with him among the other callings, Jesus certainly did enough preaching and teaching to clarify his message, but the apostles would be the very ones who launched the Christian movement. So he wanted them to know for sure and experience and taste the community that he aimed to build through them and that he aimed to multiply throughout the world. So he he took time to get to know them. He showed them the purpose of the church, that he would build through them the values of the kingdom colony that he intended to build, and the focus of what they would build. His master plan was to work through this small group of people to launch the Christian movement. And through these churches, they would be the agent of his plan, which had cosmic proportions. Since Jesus spent so much time preparing the community of disciples like he did, we see the importance of community for spreading the gospel in a society, in a a community itself. In fact, this is a part of CIB's mission, which is to invite our neighbors to discover Christ through his life-changing community. Here's the dictionary definition for a community. The first nuance of meaning uh, is a unified body of individuals, such as people with common interests living in a particular area broadly, a group of people with common characteristics or interests living together within a larger society, a body of persons of common, especially professional interests, a body of persons or nations having common history or city. You, you get the idea. The word itself has unity in it. So that is pretty important to what Jesus was building. In fact, it's crucial, not pretty important, but it's crucial to what Jesus wanted to build in the church. The church is a community unified around following Jesus Christ, and doing his will and work in the world as we walk together through life. In this series, we've seen how Jesus works through the church, which is the body of Christ. We've seen how his plan is to work through the church like he worked through his physical body while he was here on earth. And I'm going to share a song with you uh, from an oldie Christian playlist that I have that talks about this. Let's listen.
Now, I can't tell through this camera whether you watched it or not, and it can be very awkward to be excited about a song and then it falls flat with the person you're sharing it with. But here's the redeeming thing. I'm using it to make a point. This should be the aim of our church community and every member in it. To offer our hands and feet to be used to do God's work. That's, that's our calling as Christ followers. We should go through the day looking for ways to be used by God to serve. As the apostles launched their first churches, you see how important community is. You see the, that community is a priority for spreading the gospel, for sure. This is by design. All, all the time that Jesus spent building the community of disciples and giving them a taste for what he wanted in it, it wasn't wasted. It shows up in the first church ever that ever existed as it began to form. Notice the obvious connection to the unity of the church uh, and the spread of the gospel. Acts 2, 46 and 47 says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is a favorite passage of mine because of the picture it paints of what God wants to be going on in the church community. God wants our relationships in the church community to be refreshing. Here's a picture that we have on the wall above our uh, dinner table. And it's just a great reminder that God wants us to be gathering in our homes and enjoying each other. That That is what he wants. The church is designed to be much more than a collection of individuals or silos. Here's a group of silos together. They're, they're right next to each other, but silos, they remain separate. They don't mix it up. They don't get together. The church is designed to be a thriving, living community who engage with one another and to whom God gives life under his own rule. That's God's design. Like the first church, we're to connect and engage with one another. You you can see that they went to the temple, and they also broke, broke bread in their homes together, enjoying each other's company. And the joy of the church community in this day at least was partially responsible for fueling the expansion of the church. On top of that, it's important to know that there are spiritual truths I will never grasp and growth I will not experience if I never get into the church community as God designed it to be. The Holy Spirit ministers through us to one another, through each of us to one another in a significant way. This growth occurred as 
these first disciples devoted themselves to some things. Here's what it says in Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. The word fellowship in this passage is the basis for community, and it defines it in a specific way. The first church was devoted to it. The word for fellowship in the Greek this was originally written in is best translated mutual reciprocity, which should happen in church community, and it certainly happens in ours. As you get involved, uh, you experience the mutual reciprocity, the fellowship, the community that God intends for us to experience. Not perfectly, but certainly we do. We get involved in each other's lives. We help each other out. We serve one another by helping with moves and in other ways. We take meals by the house when someone's ill or grieving or something major is going on. We give and receive to and from one another when financial needs emerge. We gather in homes for meals, and when we get together, food is usually involved, that's for sure. We serve the mission of the church together. We, we work together to make things happen. It's so much better when you have people to help you with lift a heavy load and give you a lift when you're down. It is, it is so much more enjoyable to go through life that way, and that's God's intent with the church community. In our church community, we don't want to be a collection of silos, individuals who are like silos. So we take the time to build relationships, and we encourage you to do so at, at your own pace if you're new to Church in the Valley. As we relate to each other in community, there is much opportunity for friction and conflict, for sure. As we deal with the friction of relating, we must do everything we can to protect the unity of the church body. Because our unity demonstrates the reality of the gospel. This is God's intent. The unity of the church was on Jesus' heart and mind as his earthly life came to close. And you you can see it, you can sense it, because after a, a long teaching session with his disciples where he was explaining his plan and purpose for them, he prayed in their presence. And that prayer is recorded in John 17. I'm only going to read a portion of it. But I'm going to look at what is important for our message today, John 17, 20 through 23. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. He's, he's praying for us. We are those who will believe through the apostles' word. And because it was written down and we have the New Testament, we can see what God led them to say and write. It's the word of God itself. Here's what he prays for us. That they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you loved me. Let, let's look more closely at the specifics of this prayer. He's praying to God the Father as God the Son. The model for u- the unity of the church is the Trinity itself. The God we serve is one being. He's but three persons. So he's three and one being. Three persons in one being, and that is certainly mind-boggling. You know, God should be greater than us. He should be beyond our own understanding. We can know enough about him to know him and walk with him and relate to him, but he he's beyond me. I, I You know, he's beyond all of us. Who Who would want a God that we could completely figure it out? Not I. I would not want a God I completely could figure out. Each person in the Trinity has a role to play. And what you find in the scriptures is that they each play their role perfectly. And they cooperate with one another perfectly. And so Jesus prays that we would be one, that we'd be unified as the Trinity is one and unified. They work together perfectly to do their work in the world. They they fulfill their purpose by working together in perfect unity. The unity of the church has a powerful impact on the people who see it and experience it. It's a crucial part of helping our neighbors who don't yet follow Christ to believe that Jesus is God. It affirms our message. This means it's a very high priority to work out our differences and resolve our conflicts. And this is why we make a commitment to the hard attitudes at Church in the Valley. Uh, the first four hard attitudes particularly relate to uh, working things out, being unified. Um, hard attitude one. Look to the interests of others, not only your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Hard attitude number two, live an honest and open life. That's important because we don't want to harbor grudges and bitterness. We want to talk them out and work them out with uh, our fellow church members. And that that's really important for unity. Um, giving and receiving correction. If you're If there's a pattern someone has of offending you or other people, and you can see it, we need to go to them and talk to, to them about that. Um, scripture-based correction, for sure. Um, and then we need to clear up relationships when they're messed up, when there's friction and conflict and we do things to offend people around us. We clear that up. Those hard attitudes are what we're committed to working through to bring the unity that God intends for the church. Basically, Jesus in this prayer is asking God 
for the very thing we need to accomplish God's cosmic purpose, which is why he has pulled us together in the church. It's to unite all things under his rule. And we're a part of that. We can't do it. God does it through us. But unity is at the heart of what God wants to accomplish through his cosmic purpose. When the world began, there was unity between people and God, between people and each other. But now there is not unity. There is a pull like gravity towards selfishness and conflict, and we need to be reconciled. We need to be reconciled to God. We need to be reconciled to each other. And God's cosmic plan is to redeem, restore, and reconcile people in the world through us. So we ourselves need to be unified. And we need to be constantly reconciling with one another and getting things straightened out with God himself. In the middle of all the chaos that's going on in the world today, God is working his plan through the church. And he can be trusted. We can trust him to be working out his plan as he works through us. Jesus is praying that we would be unified as a testimony of the reality of his work in and through us as followers of Christ, as a church body. Reconciling people to God and to one another is at the heart of why Jesus came to this earth, why he stepped into our world. So he's praying that we would be unified so that the people around us would be more inclined to trust him and walk with him and seek him and investigate him and try to figure out what it means to to commit their life to follow him. He's praying that we may be perfectly one because it is so crucial to our mission. Now, we aren't perfectly one and Jesus knew we wouldn't be, but this is the goal. This is the goal is to be perfectly united and unified around the cause of following Jesus Christ and fulfilling his work that he's given us to do. So we need to work through the friction and the conflict and the disagreement because unity demonstrates the power and the reality of the gospel to those around us. Our love and unity are the very things that affirm the message of reconciliation that God has given us to steward, to take care of, and to share. And and that's how important and crucial it is to be unified. The mission of our church demands that we're unified because our oneness strengthens our testimony. It strengthens our witness, just like disunity undermines it. Our stated mission is to invite our neighbors to discover Christ through his life-changing community. Who in the world wants to be a part of a community full of conflict and strife and friction? You know, not, not me. I, I don't want to have anything to do with that 
that group. It's interesting as you watch how TV sitcoms have transitioned over the years, uh, how they've gone from TV families that are typically all American, perfect families like the Andersons from Father's Knows, Father Knows Best or the Cleavers from Leave It to Beaver. Um, they've transitioned from those kinds of families to families like the Bunkers from All in the Family, who the Bunkers were very raw and real by the standards of that day, and there were many cringeworthy moments. Uh, we've gone to families like the Barones from Everybody Loves Raymond. They were lovable, uh, but if they're a real family, I, I wouldn't want to be a part of it. Because in real life, that level of bickering and manipulation and dysfunction is not attractive at all. In the same way, a church full of bickering and dysfunction repels people. That's not very inviting. I mentioned the first week of this series, and it bears repeating here in the last message of the series, the last week. God's plan for fixing the world is the only one that will work. His plan is to redeem, to restore, and to reconcile the world to himself. And he wants us, as the church, to carry the message of reconciliation, as it's called by Paul, and to model what it looks like to the world around us. That's our calling as a church. Unity in the church is the clear demonstration that God's solution is effective and it's working. So there's nothing more significant than contributing to the ministry of the church through our participation, our service. And this is what I've been trying to convey in this series. If we work together to accomplish God's purpose, which has cosmic proportions, if we work together toward his purpose in unity, God is glorified and we demonstrate the power and reality of the gospel message that we share. So I want to ask you, has God spoken to you this morning? If he has, as a result of what he said, is there something you can do to better model the message of reconciliation to those around you? To model the unity. Is there, is there a relationship that you need to clear up? Is there something you need to be honest with someone about that's just kind of, you know, you've been pulling back, you've been pulling away because you don't want to be honest. But is there some, something you need to share and talk, talk over with someone? Um, I want to encourage you to take steps to make that happen today because unity um, in our body of Christ in, in CIV is so crucial to affirm the message that we share. It shows how effective God is as he works through us to bring reconciliation to one another. I, I want to encourage you to take some steps as we close the message time here. Here are some suggestions. Uh, my next step is to 
work through a conflict with family, at work, or church to bring glory to God and demonstrate the power of the gospel. And then another step would be take my next step to become a part of the church community at CIV. I, I hope this message series has been helpful and this message as well. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your goodness to us, your kindness. You have saved us by grace, and you've allowed us to be a part of this community that you've built, and you want us to be unified. You want us to unify around following you, Lord Jesus, and doing your work in the world. And I pray that you would give us the power to do just that, and that you would help us to work through any conflict, any friction, any trouble uh, with others, so that you would be honored and glorified. And I pray that you would help us to take the step that you've laid on our heart to take as a result of this message, and that you would give us the power to take it. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.